0: all built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.
1: This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, it was a dark evening in Chicago, Illinois on February 21st, 1977, when the distinct smell of smoke began to engulf an apartment complex at 2740 North Pine Grove. Residents of the apartment complex rushed outside to safety as firefighters were summoned to find the blaze and tackle it. As firefighters proceeded through the apartment complex, smoke began to billow out from an apartment on the 15th floor. Once the flames were extinguished, firefighters discovered a much more sinister scene inside. Hello, listeners. I'm your host, Nina instead and welcome to Episode 52 of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Teresita Baza was a 48-year-old respiratory therapist working at Edgewater Hospital in Chicago. Edgewater opened back in 1929 and was known for its white-glove service, which included a solarium, a swimming pool, and a helipad. Teresita was a native of Dumaguete on Negros Island in the Philippines. The daughter of a wealthy judge and his wife, this granted Teresita a life of privilege in the Third World country. In the mid-1960s, she graduated from Assumption College in Manila, she packed up her worldly belongings and immigrated to the United States for a fresh start. Here, she obtained a master's degree in music from Indiana University and studied inhalation therapy in Chicago. While working at Edgewater Hospital, Teresita performed her duties in an exemplary fashion, but music was her true love. She was enrolled at Loyola University, where she was studying for a doctor's thesis on music. Since she was a young girl, she had an immense love for music and was an accomplished pianist. From her apartment in Chicago, she gave piano lessons and was well known for her skill in Chicago's Filipino community. Terracita was a very ambitious woman, and in addition to her job and studies, she was in the process of writing a book. After settling in the United States, she made friends with ease due to her friendly and warm demeanor. These friends described Teresita as a straight person, someone who avoided alcohol at all costs. Still, she liked keeping beer and liquor on hand for any visitors to her apartment. It was a quiet evening in Chicago on February 21, 1977. Teresita was home alone when, at around 7.30 p.m., her telephone began to ring. She picked up the phone to be greeted by Ruth Loeb, a friend from the hospital. The two women chatted over the phone for around 20 minutes. During the phone call, Teresita mentioned to Ruth that she was having a male visitor over later on, but she did not identify him. Then, around 8.40 p.m., Mario and Catherine Nazi, who lived down the hall from Teresita, began to smell smoke. They lived on the 15th floor of the apartment complex and an immense fear swept over them. If the building were to go up in flames, a safe exit could be difficult. They immediately contacted the janitor who alerted all of the other residents in the apartment complex and called the fire department. Firefighters rushed the apartment block, sirens blazing as residents scrambled down the stairs to the safety of the fresh air outside. By the time firefighters reached the 15th floor, smoke was billowing out from apartment 15B. It was Teresita Baza's apartment. They approached the front door to find that it was locked. The janitor, Petro Lelusa unlocked the door with his passkey. As soon as the firefighters entered the apartment, they observed the source of the blaze. It was coming from the master bedroom. Trailing their hoses behind them, they entered the bedroom and saw a pile of burning clothing on the floor. After it was extinguished, Fire Lieutenant Warren Whelan, he kicked the burnt clothing to the side and promptly observed that there was a figure underneath, half concealed by a portion of a smoldering mattress. It was Teresita. She was naked and lying on her back with her eyes wide open but glazed over. Embedded in the middle of her chest was a wooden-handled butcher knife. Police were immediately dispatched to the apartment. They enveloped it in crime scene tape and began searching for telltale clues That could lead them to Teresita's killer. In the living room, they came across a note dated February 1977. It was in Teresita's handwriting and it read Get concert tickets for A.S. The murder case was assigned to Detective Joseph Stachula and his partner, Detective Lee R. Eplin. As they began their investigation, her body was transported to the medical examiner's office. Based on the graphic nature of the crime scene, investigators had theorized that Teresita's murder had been sexually motivated. The fire was set in an attempt to conceal evidence. Her autopsy, however, indicated otherwise, when the pathologist could find no evidence of a sexual assault. The first point of the investigation was to make contact with all of Teresita's loved ones. Investigators wanted to establish whether there was anybody in her life who may have wished to bring her harm. They meticulously interviewed her friends and co-workers, but by all accounts, she was a well-rounded woman with absolutely no enemies. There was one piece of evidence to go on, the note in Terracita's apartment. Detectives were sure that the note was somehow connected to her murder, but as they tried to identify A.S., they hit a brick wall. Over in Evanston, which is around 14 miles north of Chicago, Dr. Jose Chua was at home with his wife, Ramibios. The Chua's were natives of the Philippines, but much like Teresita, they had immigrated to the United States where they settled down in the suburb of Evanston. Ramibios had found employment at Edgewater Hospital, where she worked as an inhalation therapist, while Jose worked as a surgical assistant at Franklin Boulevard Community Hospital. One afternoon in the summer after Teresita's murder, Ramibios suddenly got up out of the living room chair and walked into the couple's bedroom. When she failed to return after a couple of minutes, Jose followed. He found his wife laying spread-eagle on the bed. She was staring blankly at the ceiling. He later recalled the Chicago Tribune. I don't know what prompted me to go so near the bed when my wife was in the trance. It was as if someone pushed me. He asked her if she was okay, assuming she may have felt under the weather. Remibios replied in a voice that Jose did not recognize. She was speaking Tagalog, which is the national language of the Philippines. She spoke with a pronounced Spanish accent, whereas she usually spoke with no accent. Jose went to his wife's side and asked her her name. She replied in Tagalog, Ok, Teresita Baza, which translates to, I am Teresita Baza. Jose was perplexed. He had never heard the name before, but the voice was persistent. Suddenly, Remibios awoke from the trance-like state with no recollection of what had just happened. The couple ruddered off as a strange experience, but just two days later, Remibios fell into another peculiar trance. This time, she pleaded with Jose to help, with regards to the man who killed me. Jose kept up the conversation, pushing for more detail. But moments later, Remibios snapped out of the trance. The couple chatted about the peculiar incident and debated over telling the police. You see, Ramibios knew exactly who Teresita Baza was. They had worked at the same hospital, but on different shifts and rarely crossed paths. But still, Ramibios, much like everybody at the hospital, knew that Teresita had been the victim of a homicide and knew that the police had not yet caught the killer. After much deliberation, Jose and Ramibios decided against telling anyone about the strange voice, which seemingly emanated from her. They feared they would come across as foolish and be ridiculed by non-believers. Moreover, they had no lucrative information on the unsolved murder that could assist in any way, at least, not yet. Just the following day, the voice of Teresita came over Remibios once more. During this incident, she sobbed as she told Jose that she had been murdered by a man named Alan Showery. The voice told Jose that Showery had arrived at the apartment alone at 7 p.m. and he was welcomed inside by Teresita. Jose asked why Showery was granted access and the voice replied that Showery was her friend. The voice then indicated that while alone in the apartment, Shaori stabbed Teresita to death. The voice pleaded with Jose for help, and Jose responded that police would need more information for charges to be filed. The voice replied that Shaori had stolen jewelry from Teresita's apartment. She listed several items, including a cocktail ring from Paris purchased by Teresita's mother, and a jade pendant from the Philippines. According to The Voice, Shaori had given some of this stolen jewelry to his girlfriend. Around 30 minutes later, Remibio snapped out of the apparent trance. Once again, she had no recollection of it, but felt extremely dehydrated and cold. When Jose informed his wife of who she identified as the alleged killer, She was stunned. She knew Alan Showery. He had worked alongside her at Edgewater Hospital as a therapist technician. The couple debated over contacting the police. While the voice had provided them with more information, they were concerned that Showery would be unjustly accused. Eventually, they decided they needed to tell somebody. In August, the couple contacted Evanston police and detailed the bizarre incidents that had taken place. Evanston police reached out to the Chicago police to query if they had any information on an Alan Showery who worked at Edgewater Hospital. Detective Stachula returned the phone call and was informed about the peculiar incident that reportedly occurred inside the Chua's home. After hanging up, Detective Stachula made his way to Evanston. While the phone call sounded outlandish, the investigation into Terracita's murder had stalled and the investigators were willing to follow whatever lead came in. On August 5th, the detective approached the Chua's front door. The couple ushered him inside and into the living room where they sat down. At first, the Chua's were evasive with Detective Stachula. He recalled, They seemed embarrassed, so I put it right to them. I told them we'd been notified that they possessed certain information. Eventually, they began to open up. Jose asked the detective whether he had believed in the occult or exorcisms. The detective told him that he did, later recalling, As a police investigator, particularly a homicide investigator, I have come across many strange things. But I have learned from years of experience to keep an open mind. Jose explained to the detective that, as a medical man, he had been trained to accept many things that couldn't be explained. However, he said that what he witnessed inside his own home was so downright bizarre that he initially hesitated to come forward. Jose then told the detective the very same story that he had told Evanston police, adding that he had never heard of Teresita before, nor did he know that she had been killed. The detective was understandably suspicious and tried to get Jose to slip up in his story. Teresita's autopsy had indicated that she died a virgin, and Detective Stachula asked Jose whether the voice had suggested that Teresita had been raped. He responded that she had only been stabbed. The investigators were not immediately convinced. After all, Ramibio's Chua had worked in the same hospital as Teresita Baza and Alan Showery. Still, they had no other leads to go on. So, armed with this peculiar incident, they began looking into Showery as a person of interest in the unsolved murder case. They learned that he was living with a woman named Yanka Kamluk in an apartment at 630 West Schubert Avenue in Chicago. Detectives Stachula and Eplin paid Showery a visit at his apartment at 1130 p.m. on August 11th. They informed him they were investigating Teresita's murder and questioned whether he had ever been inside her apartment. He admitted that, yes, he knew Teresita from work, but was adamant that he had never stepped foot inside her apartment. As questioning continued, Showery changed his story. After denying that he had ever been in her apartment, he then said that he had gone to her apartment in the hours before her body was found. Showery described how he had gone to fix her television. But was insistent that he had left sometime in the early evening, and that when he left, Teresita was safe and well. While the two detectives were chatting with Shaori, they noticed that Yanka was wearing a pearl cocktail ring similar to the one the voice said was stolen from Teresita's apartment. Yanka was taken off to the side and queried about the ring. She told investigators that Showery had gifted it to her in late February as a belated Christmas gift. Evidence against Showery was mounting, and he was brought down to Area 6 homicide headquarters to be interviewed. He was advised of his constitutional rights before questioning turned to the night Teresita was killed. At first, Showery staunchly denied any involvement in the murder, but eventually, He broke down and confessed to killing Teresita. He said he had an overdue rent and electric bill and was motivated to kill Teresita so he could rob her apartment. He told investigators that he had gone to the apartment that night on a pretense of fixing her television, but once inside, he turned on her. He said he approached her from behind and placed her into a headlock before bringing the butcher knife down on her chest. Showery explained that he then ransacked the home, removed Teresita's clothing, and set the fire. He conducted the latter in an attempt to cover up the crime and make it look like a sexually motivated murder, much like the investigators had initially theorized. Assistant Cook County State's Attorney Paul Linton later recalled, He told me he was having financial problems and that he took $30 from her purse and some jewelry from her bedroom after killing her. While Showery was being booked into the Cook County Jail for murder, Detective Stachula commented to his commanding officer, To this day, I'm not quite sure whether I believe how the information was obtained. Nonetheless, everything here is completely true. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into.
1: Investigators still wanted to collect more evidence against Showery, and Yanka handed over several items of jewelry he had gifted her in the preceding months. Teresita's family would identify the pearl cocktail ring as belonging to Teresita, as well as a jade pendant. The alleged paranormal aspect of the case quickly dominated the headlines across the nation. Reporters were desperate to interview Remibios Chua the woman who had seemingly been possessed by Teresita's spirit. Rumibios refused any interviews, commenting to the Buffalo News that what had happened, quote, has been a traumatic experience for both my husband and me. Rumors began to swirl from non-believers that the Chua's were somehow involved in Teresita's murder, and that's how they knew details unknown to the public and even to investigators. State's attorney Bernard Carey quickly came to their defense and announced that they were satisfied that neither Jose nor Ramibios were involved. At first, the state attorney's office was skeptical of the claims, but the Chua's were interviewed at length. State's attorney Carey stated, In my five years as a prosecutor, handling 70 or so felony cases, I have never run into anything like this. He referred to Jose as a learned professional and a reputable person. Many non-believers were unhappy with the explanation and began looking into the background of the Chua's. Sleuths professed that there must have been some kind of logical reason for the alleged trance. For example, could Ramibios have overheard a confession? Records from the hospital showed that Ramibios and Showery had worked alongside one another for 13 months. Before Remibios was fired for disobedience and absenteeism, Remibios had also confided in a supervisor that she was afraid she could become the killer's next victim. Those who worked in the respiratory unit of the hospital described it as close knit, with an official commenting, People worked hand in hand, day in and day out. Some also said that Showery had been an amiable colleague and had often thrown parties at his apartment. This unidentified official at the hospital wondered whether Showery had given Remibio's information that incriminated himself. Then, in turn, she decided to pretend to be possessed by Teresita because she wasn't sure how else to divulge the information. It seemed that this official wasn't the only one who was dubious. On March 9, 1978, Journal and Courier ran an article in their newspaper, which revealed that Chicago police speculated that Ramibios somehow knew something about the murder, but was so afraid of reprisal by Showery that she concocted the tale as a way to disclose what she knew. They considered that Ramibios had recognized some of the jewelry Showery had stolen from Terracita and gifted to women at the hospital and simply put two and two together. Controversies continued to plague the case. In September, Alan Showery's defense team argued there were insufficient grounds for an arrest. During a pretrial hearing, Detective Stachula said that he and his partner first questioned Showery after he was identified by Ramebios Chua or by the alleged voice of Teresita Baza. According to Showery's defense attorney, William Swano, the arrest and confession should be suppressed based on the grounds that investigators had no grounds to question him. Therefore, there was no basis for an arrest. Investigators fought back, contending that the information provided by Remibios was enough to warrant an interrogation. Defense attorney Swano argued that there was no evidence to connect Showery to the murder except for the alleged paranormal contact. He said that the confession was inadmissible if Showery were arrested without a warrant or sufficient evidence. Jose Chua was called to testify during the pretrial hearing. When he took to the witness stand, his mind was transported back to the supernatural incident. He said to the court, She was really pleading for me to help solve her murder. I was really surprised and scared when I asked her name and she answered Teresita Baza but she told me I had nothing to be scared of. Showery's defense team suggested that Remibios had faked the entire trance because she was upset that she had been fired from her role at the hospital that summer. Defense attorney Swano stated, Never, to my knowledge, has a man been arrested because of a vision. Police have never been informed of a criminal's name by a voice. Circuit Judge Frank A. Spabaro decided to delay the ruling on the motion, but days later, he had reached a determination. He said that legally, the question of the peculiar police source was debatable. He stated, the police were obligated to follow all leads in this case. The judge ultimately ruled that there was enough evidence against Showery to send him to trial for the murder and that the arrest and confession should not be suppressed. By January 10, 1979, a jury consisting of eight men and four women was seated and the murder trial was ready to begin. During opening statements, prosecutors stated that robbery was the motivation behind the murder, but said that Alan Showery had only made off with around $30 and several pieces of jewelry. Prosecutor Thomas Organ made no mention of the alleged psychic experience that led to Showery being identified as the main suspect in the murder. He alluded to the fact that investigators received some information that led to Showery before informing them that Showery had made a full confession to the crime and admitted that he had committed it simply because he needed money. During his opening statement, defense attorney Daniel Radakovich made the surprising move of mentioning Jose and Ramibios Chua he detailed to the jury the claims of paranormal possession before stating it was their theory that Rumibios had made the entire thing up simply because of personal problems. He assailed the story as unbelievable and suggested that investigators had accepted it at face value simply because their investigation into the murder had stalled. His attention then turned to the confession that Showery made and he lambasted it as being coerced. He said that at the time of Showery's arrest, his girlfriend, Yanka, had been eight months pregnant and said that investigators had threatened to arrest her for possessing stolen jewelry. Detective Joseph Stachula would be called as a prosecution witness during the controversial trial. He pointed toward Showery and stated, that's the man. While the prosecution had made no mention of the supposed supernatural element to the case, Detective Chula divulged exactly how Showery had become a person of interest in their investigation. He detailed how Jose had told him that his wife was possessed by Bassa's spirit and had identified Showery as her killer. Following his testimony, the jury heard Alan Showery's thirteen-page signed confession. His defense team had attempted to get this thrown out of evidence, but the judge allowed it to be presented to the jury. The court would then hear from Remibios. It was the first time she publicly spoke on the case. Ironically, she was called as a witness by the defense. Defense Attorney William Swano suggested that the voice story was a complete fabrication, something she had concocted because of a vendetta against Showery. He asked, Did you have three seizures or possessions in which Teresita Baza spoke through your lips? She replied, yes. The defense attorney then asked, Do you recall what happened? What was said? Do you remember Teresita's voice? Ramibios responded, no. The defense would then suggest that Ramibios had sold Showery the rings that were identified as belonging to Teresita. She steadfastly denied that she had— but did admit that on one occasion she had sold him a diamond ring. During Remibio's testimony, she revealed that on July 15, 1977, she received a crank phone call at her home. The defense suggested she blamed Showery for the phone call. Just the following day, Remibio's learned that she had lost her job at Edgewater Hospital. Then, just hours later, the voice of Teresita allegedly spoke through her. According to the defense team, Remibios also blamed Showery for her losing her job because he once reported that she was not performing her duties well. State's attorney Thomas Organ bluntly asked Remibios, did you kill Teresi Tabaza? And Remibios replied loudly, no. Following her testimony, the defense would call on analyst Samuel Pelnick, and his testimony would inject a new mystery into the peculiar murder case. He revealed during his testimony that five strands of human hair were found on Terracita's body, and none of the strands matched Showery. He further testified that these strands were not from Terracita either. Still, curiously, both her hair and the strands of hair had both been treated with bleach or dye. According to the analyst, more microscopic work needed to be completed for further conclusions. The court fell eerily silent on January 22nd as Alan Showery entered the room and sat down at the witness stand. It was the fifth day of the trial, and he vehemently denied that he had killed Teresita Baza. He said that on the evening of her murder, he was drinking and playing darts at a neighbor's home with his girlfriend, Yanka. He further contended that the confession he had given investigators was coerced. He said to the courtroom, They wanted answers, so I gave them answers. According to Showery, he only agreed to sign the confession after investigators threatened to arrest his pregnant girlfriend as an accessory to the murder. He stated, The police said they were going to arrest Yanka and me for the murder. They said I would never see Yanka or the child again, but if I confessed, Yanka would go free. Yanka testified next, and she echoed what Shaori had already said to the jury. She testified, Alan only wanted to spare me. He told me he didn't want our baby born in jail. She corroborated Shaori's alibi, but it was pointed out by prosecutors that after Shaori's arrest, She had told investigators that on the evening of Teresita's murder, she was shopping, and Showery was home alone doing electrical work. Yanka's testimony was followed by Detective Lee R. Eplin, who was called as a rebuttal witness. According to the detective, the confession was not coerced, and he quoted Showery as telling Yanka, Honey, I'm very sorry, but our relationship is over. We've had a great seven years, but I am responsible for Miss Baza's death. He said that Showery then told Yanka not to wait for him and to sell all of his furniture and provide their child with a good life. After the testimony, the prosecution and defense rested their cases. During closing arguments, the prosecution portrayed Alan Showery as a cold-blooded killer, while the defense said he was the victim of a police frame-up. Prosecutor Lee Schoen referred to the voice from the grave, which pointed them in the direction of Showery as a suspect, but said that investigators would have been remiss in their duties if they did not follow up on all leads received, no matter what it sounds like. Defense attorney William Swano teamed the prosecution's case against his client as a fishing boat that was riddled with many reasonable doubts. He then referred to the alleged possession of Remibios, telling the jury, If you believe that story, then you don't believe Alan Showery. The jury were then sent off to deliberate. After 13 hours of deliberation, the jury reached a deadlock. They could not reach a unanimous decision and were dismissed from court that evening as the judge declared a mistrial and scheduled a new hearing for February. On February 22nd, Alan Showery returned to court for what was expected to be the beginning of the retrial. Against the advice of his lawyer, he pleaded guilty to the murder of Teresita Baza. Showery was sentenced to 14 years in prison and the judge imposed a minimum sentence of 10 years. In handing down the sentence, the judge said that Showery's guilty plea showed that he was amenable to rehabilitation and therefore deserving of a more lenient sentence. In 1980, the Chua spoke with the Chicago Tribune. The reporter asked, do you think Teresita will ever return? And Jose responded, I hope not. The reason she came down to earth was because she was concerned about the guy who killed her. Her mission is now accomplished. Three years later, Alan Showery was released from prison, a free man. This episode was researched and written by Emily G. Thompson, editing and scoring by Corey Hiltman, script editing, additional writing, and production direction by Rosanna and Benjamin Fitton. For more on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com. And for more on the Law & Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawncrimecom podcasts this has been They Walk Among America. We will be back next week. Thank you for listening and please be safe.